Hello and welcome to Off the Record, episode 2.5. Psyched to be back. Uh, I want to start the show by talking about uh, something horrible that happened that kind of ties in two of the last episodes that we've had. Uh, Nick Karp, who you may remember, was on our feature on photographer's issues. He was on it quite a bit, sadly was robbed of his photography gear. Um, this kind of hits home since we had this big van robberies episode. He has a GoFundMe if you have something to spare. You've probably seen his pictures all around the internet, and it would be really great to help support him if you enjoyed that episode since he did a lot of the work on helping me see those issues that were going on. Um, you can go to GoFundMe.com dash Nick Carp. That's N-I-C-K-K-A-R-P. He's an awesome dude, and I hope uh, he recovers from this. Uh, secondly, we have, by popular demand, Ask OTR coming back. So I'm going to start off the show by answering a few questions, and a few minutes after that, I'm going to have an awesome chat with Nick Mango, who's the um, head of product at Card Included and Limited Run, which is probably the best direct-to-fan merch service there is. And he talks about a lot of cool, fun stuff. We get into where Bandcamp's going, all the cool things he does, uh, as well as uh, we talk about vinyl and some issues with some of the dumb things bands do with merch stores. Um, it's a fun chat, so stick around. But first, uh, the first question I have is from bone 85 my question if you haven't tackled it already is about audio settings when i was younger i would mess around with the equalizer or my stereo and see how it would change the song services like google play have a function for this also my question is during the mixing of a song or album is a filter like these used does using an equalizer adjusting yourself settings yourself on your phone or stereo just mess up how the song was meant to be heard thanks for the great podcast well thank you um equalizers are used in the mix down it's what i do in mixing and mastering each day is you do an overall eq but messing with the eq too much uh messes with the intent of what the mixer did in general i would leave eqs flat but if you're on a really deficient system it sometimes helps you know but in general you don't get a very good result overall from equalizing your mixes so i can't say i recommend that fully uh, the second question we have is from Anonymous. It says, hey, Jesse, big fan of OTR. Can you talk about Apple Music Alt Press piece? It really rubbed me the wrong way how the inaccuracy was handled. Why not just pull the piece when the headline was inaccurate? So this bugged me too. And what this person is talking about is I wrote a piece about how Apple could be uh, deterring leaks with a feature that was in Apple Music. And it turned out that this was just bad uh, product uh, in the end, and that was really just a flaw within Apple Music, and they handled it really poorly. I posted an update to the article when it was pointed out to me and amended it. But why wasn't the piece pulled? Because there were still accurate things in it, and this wasn't ruining anybody's life. I think you should always pull a piece if you're saying something specifically derogatory or untrue or you're speculating about somebody. So, for example, you know... Uh, if you're saying, for example, there is some people who said off the record's dead when they knew better that it wasn't, and obviously it's not, and they wouldn't pull their articles. 
that's not okay because that's deterrent on something. If you amend the thing and there's still a bunch of truths and thoughts in there that can work, I think it's okay to leave it. Now, with that said, it's also not always the writer's decision. This is usually the decision of an editor, especially when you're working with a magazine like Alt Press. Um, and they're going to make the call, and sadly, the writer's not really going to have a call. The writer could throw a big fit, but one of the things I think that's important in this discussion is to understand that you know, when you decide to sign a contract to write for somebody instead of just like, you know, the casual thing of writing for an online blog, you relinquish a lot of your control. And that's really a fact of the matter. And I, you know, um, I don't think it's that big a deal when the record sets straight because it's still discussed some interesting dynamics of what's going on with Apple Music and illustrated how bad a product rollout this is. The next question is also anonymous and it asks how I stay focused to get so much done in a day between all of my jobs. Um, the best things I could say, and I think that um, one of the things that's not discussed enough is that uh, staying focused is all about practice. Some people like to use meditation. Um, I've been experimenting with it lately, but it's never been a big part of how I get things done. A lot of it is for me is that I've learned my bad habits and I've compensated for them. My worst bad habits are I go to click another tab and I open up something and then I get lost in what I was doing and I don't even remember what I was trying to do in the first place. So if I need to really focus on something, I only I get rid of my other open tabs and I just leave one tab open. I put my phone on do not disturb or I put it uh, on airplane mode depending on how severe it is and what time of day it is. Um, there's this great Chrome extension called Facebook News Eradicator. And what it will do is it won't allow you to see your news fade. But let's say you're getting a message or you need to check on something like, you know, I have to update pages a lot for work. This thing could be great so you don't waste time scrolling through that. Um, there's a bunch of other sites that can black out the web if you have no self-control. But my self-control is good enough with that. Um, the last thing that I think is really good, if you really need to stay focused, you got to turn off the email alerts and just set hours to answer emails. I try to do the thing of that. I can answer email every hour at the top of the hour, but for, uh, five minutes in the day, but never answer it in between if I really need to be focused on something. So from let's say 1 PM to 105, 2 PM to 205, I can answer email, but that is it. I also have a neat little trick when I'm doing work that shouldn't take long so I don't get bogged down in it is I have what's called a round timer that a lot of people use for working out. I actually stole this from Mr. Robot when he has the meeting with the uh, the hacker or the white something. It's not coming to me, but um, they had a timer for, and uh, this person talked about how much they take their time seriously and it beeps every minute so that no minute is wasted. You can waste a lot of time going over details of an email that no one really cares about. So I have a timer go off every minute. So I know I'm not wasting my time unnecessarily on emails and going over details that will never matter in an email and just trying to get them done and get the people to answer their questions and make the decision about what they say. That helps me a lot so that I realize how much time is going by and how much I'm wasting on things when I could actually be using it for better pursuits. 
Uh, the next question comes from, okay. I don't, I guess that's just a weird name. Um, it asks, uh, you talk a lot about creativity. What are some of the better creativity books or blogs you've been reading? Uh, there's a lot of bad books on creativity, which is why I'm writing one. Uh, but the one I really liked was Twyla Tharp, The Creative Habit. I thought that one was particularly good. Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull on Pixar is really good. And that's really it. I actually, a lot of people say The War of Art, but I really don't like that book. And that's kind of why I'm uh, writing this. Oh, Mason Curry's Daily Rituals is also a really good one on what people do every day to get into their creative groove. And that's it for questions. If you have questions, you can ask us anonymous, anonymously at offtherecord.fm, uh, uh, our website, or you can use the hashtag AskOTR, and I will answer them. Uh, here's my interview with Nick Bango. Um, so, well, it, you know, it really starts in vinyl, actually. The um, 2000 and late 2008, my brother, Tom, who's a co-owner with me, said that, um, you know, he really wanted to do a, a, a eBay competitor just in vinyl because we felt like vinyl was going to start, you know, picking up a little bit. We loved vinyl. We loved collecting vinyl, buying vinyl, and everybody was always, you know, trading through, you know, uh, trade lists and um, and uh, there, back in the day, there was a place called Skylab Commerce, which um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard about. But uh, I know I actually haven't. Yeah, so they were like pretty much the first eBay competitor in vinyl and demo tapes and basically underground stuff. It, they were around for like three years or so, and it was like two, early 2000s, and it never really took off. The guy didn't really put much effort into it. Um, I mean, I knew, he knew there was no money in it really back then, um, so he he just shut it down. Um, and he did some other things, but, but, but that always captivated. I always loved that. I was like, wow, somebody built an eBay competitor and people were using it. He didn't make any money on it, but he just probably just didn't know how to make money. Um, so we decided to try it, but this is 2009, not like 2003. Mm -hmm. So vinyl was, you know, not where it is today, but it was, people were rumbling about it. People were thinking about it. We built the, the, uh, the trade list and we built auctions and we built stores just like, um, eBay has, eBay has auctions and stores. And we started to see after maybe a year or so that uh, people that were trading would just use trade lists and auctions and people that were like labels and bands, they would use the stores. It was completely separate. It was like two different things, two different communities. Hmm. And we charged for the stores, but we didn't charge for auctions. Uh, we wanted to basically try and you know, get people to use it and not have to worry about fees. Because that's really the only way you can beat eBay. Once we realized that, we said, ah, you know what? We should break it apart and just do stores over here for labels and bands. And let's just continue this trade list and auctions over here under a different name. And it worked out. And um, once we really started to focus on stores and it was just about stores and all the marketing was about stores, people started to sign up. It just took off from there. It took off from there. And then, then, we, then we rebooted it and um, we rebooted it to... So that was limited pressing. Actually, that was we we called that limited pressing. So you see the the emphasis on on vinyl back then. It was the, it was called limited pressing. We were all about lim, uh, uh, all about vinyl. Our features were very very vinyl focused. The um, we did features that nobody had because 
like for instance, like cart limiting, which is basically where if somebody puts if you let's say you only want somebody to be able to put one of these in their cart, for instance, if you had a really rare color or something that you were selling and there was a hundred of them and you wanted to make sure everybody that wanted one got one and you didn't want somebody to buy five and then sell like four on eBay, you could put this block on it basically. It says one or two or whatever number you want, that's how the max that can be in the cart. Now nobody had that feature because it's ridiculous to prevent people from buying something. You know, that's just a dumb feature. But in vinyl, <laughs> it's, it's a great feature. When we came up with that feature and, and people were like, wow, this is exactly what we need because we've got to stop people from flipping our stuff. So it, it was very, very vinyl focused. Then um, as the years went on, I mean, we realized that we weren't just, people weren't just using us for, to sell vinyl anymore. People wanted digital features. They wanted all kinds of different features. And so we, we changed our name to Limited Run. So really, we just refer to ourselves as Limited Run. We've, we've always been Limited Run, but back in the day, we started out as Limited Pressing. We, I mean, we kind of said that vinyl, we know vinyl's going to take off. I guess this was before people really thought vinyl was going to take off. And we positioned ourselves in that vinyl world. Since we focused so hard on that niche, people started to talk about that. They said, wow, these guys are just, they're, they're really catering to the vinyl world. And then that vinyl world got really big. We, we grew with it, basically. And this all came from you guys growing up in Long Island Hardcore, I'm assuming, since all of your examples are always all my favorite bands growing up. <laughs> right, yeah. The, and, you know, we, we're always going to do that. Uh, I think that we, you know, it was just, that's our way of saying that, like, you know, we're, st we're not like some corporate people. You know what I mean? It's still just two people. That's another thing a lot of oh, people don't really realize. Cool. Yeah, the, um, we're still just two people. We built it specifically so that two people could run it, uh, which is, is not like a lot of people. A lot of people just kind of put out the product and maybe raise money and hire a lot of people. And we didn't do that. We said, we're going to build this so that two people can run it. Um, and it, it, that worked out for us, obviously, because now all the money goes into our pockets and not somebody else's pocket. And so what is an example of a decision you make when you decide two people are going to run a tech company? Because I know so much of our audience thinks about tech and, you know, you hear these crazy numbers of money being raised and obviously you both uh, program, but what makes it so that you can do it off of just two people? Right. Well, actually, two, we both don't program. Uh, Tom, 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 my brother, he built everything. Everything that you see Unlimited Run and any of our other services, Tom built from the ground up, from nothing. Uh, he's he's unbelievable. He's like the best I've ever seen at what he does. He plans everything out to a T. Everything is where it should be. The only th and what I do is, which is basically what most people call head of product, which is which is what the public sees. For instance, you know what words you know the words that you know are trying to speak what the actual feature is tom is tom is essentially a computer so when he <laughs> writes this stuff as this feature names it's just i don't even understand it. Like, what does this thing do and he'd be like oh that does this i'm like why don't you just say that it does this and it's like because i'm programming that's what i'm doing so then i'll change what it actually so people can understand it uh normal people that are not like super smart like tom and obviously i do customer service type stuff and i just do business focus on you know the money financial stuff so it's really it's like tom being the CTO, I guess you could say, and I'm like CFO, CPO, let's say, chief product of it. So th that's how it's split up. And that's it. And that's um, the features we discuss. Um, obviously, I don't tell him how to program, and, he, and most of the time he doesn't tell me 
what to call something as far as the copy or even how you interact too sometimes like the ui of you know where to click or where should the click be and all that kind of stuff that that's basically product so you guys are a very fortunate case of uh breeding uh this respect that you guys got two different but very complementary talents that is exactly the only reason that we are where we are is because we are completely different tom is the computer side I'm the artistic side, I guess you could say. That that's totally and completely but I'm also like the business side, but he's not the business side. So it's it, it, it works. I guess you could say capital I'm very capitalist. Tom's not as much capitalist, so we even each other out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I would raise prices right now. Let's go and raise prices. Let's just triple them. Tom's like, You're crazy, we can't do that. You know what I mean? And then we that's how we level each other out. A, a, a Wozniak jobs but brother uh Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, totally. I mean obviously I mean that's calling us like Incredible, but we're but not, yeah, not yeah, bad. More <laughs> the relationship scheme. Relationship-wise, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The seismic uh, feeling of cross-tech. With this, though, you guys also do a very tech-nerdy thing called Rails Rumble. Could you explain to us what that is? Right, so Rails Rumble is a hackathon, but it's a distributed hackathon, meaning you don't all have to be in one place. Like, normally hackathons, it's like everybody go to this one central location and you know, do something and you get judged on that. But this is distributed. So it's having a little land party in uh, one place or whatever. Right, right, right. Exactly. So this is not like that. This is this is distributed. So it's all around the world. Uh, it's been happening since 2007. And we took it over in 2000. And so we did 2012, 13, 14. Right. So this is 15. So we took it over in 2012. And um, it's the biggest distributed hackathon in the world. It's huge. It's uh, last year we had over 500 teams and it was like 33 countries. It's massive. It's totally huge. Um, so to a, lay- a layman that doesn't understand Rails, what, what actually happens at this? Right. So basically you get 48 hours as a team of up to four people and you get to just build something that you want to build. There's no, as far as what you need, to, what you have to build, there's no rule on that. You can choose whatever it is. It just needs to be uh, Ruby based and Ruby is a programming language. It's called the Rails Rumble because Rails is a framework on top of Ruby, but you can use all kinds of different frameworks the, um, on, that, that work with Ruby. And you can use other things too, but we're actually becoming a little bit more forgiving with the rules because just times are changing and, and, and programming is changing. And So it's, it's a little bit different now, but basically it's teams of up to four people build something over 48 hours and then they get judged by the people that compete. So I've noticed that a lot of people have kind of gotten sour on the idea of like the hackathon. I imagine you guys still see a lot of merit in, you know, I I feel like there was like about six years ago, every music tech company is like, we need to have a hackathon for our product. Do you have any feelings about how that's evolving? Right. Well, I'll tell you this, the, um, the hackathon for your product, very difficult. I mean, that's a marketing gimmick. And usually what you see with those is, is that they'll have to be a serious, serious like cash prize. You know what I mean? You'll always see something. The best person, you know, get the best team gets a hundred grand, gets a yeah, like, like what Netflix did when they tried to improve their algorithm. Yes, exactly. I mean, if you offer a really big cash prize, you're going to get some smart people working on it. And if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for something that's to fix a problem that you have, but you can't do it internally, I think that's a good move. Um, and you probably spend a lot less money if you hired a huge team and spent you know fifty million dollars trying to fix it. So uh, even if you got a piece of something that you could work on later, I think that that's good. But um, I think that this is a little bit different. Rails Rumble is more like I mean, there's no huge cash prize. I mean, we give out you know what I mean, like some gift certificates to Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, and that's and we get 
service prizes from sponsors like you know somebody like github uh, you know anything that like like um we tried to get slack this year uh, it didn't work out the timing wasn't right so slack i mean everybody probably pretty much knows what slack is so they would give out like three months free or something for an account so that's really that's really all we do the hackathons where there's a huge cash prize and they're using something like you said the netflix that's a little bit weird i would say that that particular one is a smart idea for netflix i mean imagine what netflix would spend you know to hire a team to you know to develop that yeah, I think that what, what the, I think the statistic was that they saved ninety uh, percent of what the cost would have been to achieve the same same outcome. Yeah, incredible. You know why? Because a lot of people they want. I mean, the money is great. You know what I mean? But they also want the notoriety. And if you are working at Netflix, let's say, and you develop this thing, you the only notoriety you get is internally. And sometimes you don't even get that. I mean, you you've probably worked for a company, or I, I know I've worked for a company that I've done incredible things for, and I get no notoriety. Uh, it's one of the reasons. Why why I wanted to start my own company. And that's it. I mean, it's, it's so so doing it outside of Netflix in this competition, I mean, you get money and you get the notoriety that you want. That's pretty cool. Has I seen it slow down? I don't know. You know what I mean? I, don't, I, I, I haven't really paid attention to it. I know a couple of them, the Netflix one I know about, um, and obviously that results from their end is great. So with Rails Rumble, it's also that you just get to be known as one of the most badass programmers in the business. There's no doubt about it. You do. Uh, you get notoriety from that. We also have like a solo award, which is basically you get teams up to four people, but obviously you can also just compete just one person. Mm. And the last two years, this is unbelievable. I can't even believe that this happened. But the last two years, female solo award winners. Wow, and, that's and pretty that's great. Not, yeah, and that's judged by the team. Like they will look at the what you know what that person produced, and they said, you know, we rated X points. And at the end, you add up all the X points, and and whoever had the most points that was solo, they win. It just happened to be the last two years of female. Unbelievable. The um, it really told me something. I mean, it's like it actually made me think of something interesting. Where you know, a lot of people think maybe that a female can't do something like this, and maybe it's the team members, you know, together is making that person look like they can't do it but you, you you know what i mean two female alone solo and look what they did you know what i mean there's so many times men's shitty attitudes towards women drag them down yes ex that's exactly right and I, I think that it just goes to show you that you know that i'm still amazed by it i am and it's all next it's it's the next year and i'm still amazed at the last year that's awesome that that was, was the second solo when the first one happened i was like I was like, this is amazing, but there's not many female solo. This, this has to be like a fluke, just percentage-wise, you know what I mean? There's yeah, not the odds are against it. Totally, totally against Forget, you know what I mean, skill levels. Just mm -hmm. odds of male versus, the amount of males versus the amount of females. And then when it happened again, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is ridiculous. So it's pretty cool. It was it was amazing. That's really awesome. So you guys have one other service that you do primarily called Card Included. Could you tell us... A quick bit about that. Right. Carding, this is already inside baseball, but I think it's cool because it shows my capitalist uh, uh, ten, you know, tendencies. So that feature, this feature uh, was a basically a, um, a uh, self-serve download card feature that we had in limited pressing. And when we rebuilt to start as limited run, we removed it. And the reason we removed it is tons of people were using it and people were signing up just to use this feature. So we broke it out and we said, let's make this its own service, card included. And now anybody can use it, and we make a lot more money from it. 
But really what it was was is that people were signing up for limited pressing, a lot of people, not using the store because they have their own store somewhere else, maybe that they do on their own. And they were paying the monthly fee just to get this single feature so that they could self-serve, create download cards. I mean, I assume everybody knows what download card is. So um, Yeah, I can't imagine anybody who listens to this podcast hasn't gotten the card inside their vinyl to download the digital version. And, and that's what we did. We realized that everybody was using this feature. And I remember specifically the the, the uh, when it happened, I was... I saw somebody just using, you know, producing cards, and buying cards and buying cards. And I was just like, man, this guy's buying a lot of cards. And then I go to the store and they have no products and they have no store up. And I'm just going, why, why is this happening? And then I'm like, why are they producing all these cards? And then I started to look up all the orders that we got for cards from this feature internally. And I started to look at the stores that they were attached to. And I realized a large percentage of those stores didn't have products. They weren't set up. And I said, this is a service. People are signing up, paying a monthly fee for the for the store, not using the store, just using this feature. I thought that was, I thought that was, and you know, and and at first I thought it was like a bad thing. I was like, wow, they can't even use our store platform. This is ridiculous. But you know what? Changing a store platform is actually really hard. The um, It's not an easy process, especially if you have your URL out there. You know what I mean? Let's say you're using something like Big Cartel. Uh, which used to be a competitor of ours. I don't really think they're they're. In, you guys are in, such a different service now. Yeah, I had to I had to rethink how I talked about you guys versus them in the newest edition of my book because like, I didn't feel like it was right to put them side by side. We got a little sidetracked here, so I'm going to pick the conversation back up where we left off after the tangent. I, I'm really going to throw myself out there. But I'm going to give you my prediction on Bandcamp. What's going to happen? Please, please do. All right, so. We all know that digital music is dead. Mm-hmm. No one is going to be buying digital music anymore. Yes. Right? It's, it's, it's dead. It's a completely dead format. It doesn't, it's, it's not going to exist soon. So the only, let's think about the reasons why Bandcamp would exist then. Why would people buy digital music from people on Bandcamp? Because they want to give them money, let's say, mm-hmm. right? Or there are people like CD people now, which is obviously a huger community. But CD people now that buy CDs still because they're out of you know what I mean because they're crazy you know what I mean yeah. well, and they just buy CDs. I don't know if you saw saw that th- thing I did on that, but it's mostly just because of cars. Right. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's no, I, yeah. I mean, I, trust me. I would say the only reason to buy a CD is for a car, but I wouldn't even do that. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that old thing where I don't know if you heard this, but. AOL, you know, it was still making like zillions of dollars recently, and it was because of um, senior citizens that didn't know they didn't need AOL to get on the internet. Like they'd have broadband, like their grandchildren would set up broadband and they'd pay fifty dollars a month for broadband, but they still keep AOL. They didn't realize they didn't need AOL, so it was only the people that were too like old, I guess, to realize they didn't need it. So two, um, two, two of my best friends are AOL employees, so that's a constant source of uh, party ribbing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and, and, um, you know, and that's the thing is the to get a aux cable in your car is the cost of four CDs. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's, I can't even like. I don't even. So let, let's put CDs yeah. to the side because yeah. that's a whole other thing. What's going to happen when CDs are completely dead? But as far as digital music, so what does Bandcamp do when the only people that are buying digital music are people that are one are don't realize that you can sign up for like iTunes Music or Apple Music or RDO or one of those things. Or they just want to give money to the band. You know what I mean? Band puts up their demos and says, hey, you know, do me a favor, give me a couple of bucks here so that, that we can pay to uh, 
you know, release our stuff on vinyl or something like that, or we need a rent a van or something to come and do three shows or somewhere. And a couple different things. One is Bandcamp could move more into like a donation type thing where it's, it becomes like a tip jar, which I think is cool. I don't, I don't well, think you, you saw that this week there was a service that launched as just strictly a tip jar. For- I mean, I, Tom and I have talked about it many times where it, 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 we could, we could probably build it in two days and it would just, you would just stick it somewhere. It's called Huzza. Huzza. Let me, let me, let me, let me try and spell it. Let me try and spell it. Cause this is another thing that the pet peeve of mine, when people name things and you can't spell them. Yep. So I, is it, H U Z A two Z's two Z's two Z's because they couldn't get H U Z A dot com. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so uh, that's like a squatted domain, I bet. I think you're dead on with that. Squatted. Yep. So <laughs> yes, it's squatted. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but I, I think there is a thing of that. Like, I don't know if you got to hear the episode Zach and I did on like the Spotify competitor I tried to do, but like, I think that this is like one of those things though that there's also a huge thing of that. Imagine the first time a musician gets tipped $10,000. That's going to be a huge press, and that's going to be a story that's on Good Morning America all the time. Sure, I I agree with that. I think that that this service that you just, this Huzza thing, Mm -hmm. it can be killed very easily, and that's another Mm -hmm. thing I don't like to do. I personally don't like to build killable services. Yes. Like, like anybody could kill this service. The, yep. I mean, PayPal could kill this well, service. Well, YouTube's also talked about doing this forever, and they actually did do it on a couple of providers' pages, and that could, if they push that out to everybody and they just connect their Google wallet to it, right. it's done. It's done, yeah. So that's, so I think it's cool, and we'll see, you see what happens with it. But I think tip jars, like like what we were talking about with Bandcamp, I think that, that that's a direction they can go. I think they could go streaming. I got a, I got a feeling that it could happen. Like, I think that what's going to end up happening if nobody's buying digital, then people are just going to be streaming. I think if you look, at, in, in fact, I saw some copy on a Bandcamp page where the way they word it sort of leaves it open that at some point in time they might charge for streaming. And hmm. um, I'm going to look right now. Run, let's let's look at yeah. look, my favorite labels Bandcamp pages. Run for cover records. Yep. You guys, you guys, you recently started doing the stores for. That's right. They 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 use us for a store, but they still keep a Bandcamp because they have to. I think that's actually even smart strategy because that's part of a community for them. Yeah. See, look at listen to this. Listen to this copy. Um, listen to this copy. Digital albums includes unlimited streaming via the free Bandcamp app plus high quality talent. See, the way this says this is it leaves it. It's not just like. Of course, it's free. Normally, you, I wouldn't even put that there. If I'm always going to be free, I may not even put that word, that, that 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 copy in there. It's almost like they're they're leaving, they're they're putting a spot there that this might, at some point in the future, might say stream this album for one dollar for the next month or something uh, through the Bandcamp app. It leaves that open. I do. Will they do that? I'm not sure. But I think it could. I think they could. With with how closed the back ends are all these services, like we still haven't ha- seen a streaming service that has like how MySpace used to just allow you to instantly put up a song for people to stream. Right. None of these streaming services have that yet, and that is an opening for Bandcamp if there ever was one. Yeah, I and I have always said that Bandcamp is the is the MySpace of now. Hmm. But I, I I agree though that there's big differences, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, all up until recently, they didn't do the listener, I guess account, I guess you could say, right, where it was like a community. That was only recently. Yeah. Yeah. About eighteen months, I'd say. Yeah. So I mean, I think that um, 
I, if there's anybody that's in MySpace right now, it's it's not MySpace, even though they're still around. But it, it's 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 Bandcamp, which I think that the reason MySpace is dead is because they didn't do what Bandcamp created. They didn't do buying. I don't know why they never did buying, but they should have just. Were they trying to do that though for a hot second? I feel like there there the, I feel like there was a rollout of dollar ninety nine downloads at one point, and like. TuneCore and CD Baby started allowing you to upload and it was going to be to sell and then it was just like that was it was already the spam had hit the wall. Mm, well, if they were too late then they were too late. The uh, I mean when was the last year of MySpace really? I mean 2006 was 2007 start of Facebook or 2006? Okay. You know, I'm really bad. I, I want to say even well I don't think I went on Facebook till 2009 but I'm also I'm really not a user of it, so. Yeah, I don't even actually have an account. Lucky you. <laughs> First of all, I think that that they're going to have to generate money in a different ways, and I think that um, I do watch the band kit because like, they show that figure on their on their on their homepage, and I haven't really seen it change that much. Hmm. If you go to Bandcamp.com, it seems like it's always in that. 3 million for 30 days range. Yes. 3.4 million. And I have I'm telling you right now, I have I have seen for almost 2 years now, I've seen somewhere between like 2.8 and where they are right now. Almost. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think it shot up to 2 million very quickly and then it just started to just level off. Um, 3.4 million is, is an incredible number. I mean, I'm approaching that sort of number, uh, but I mean, just to do that, pre they're pretty much doing that with digital music. I don't think they do much. I mean, that's got to be 90% digital music. It's, it's amazing. There's no doubt about it. They're an amazing service. The And see, if you look at fans have paid artists 121 million using Bandcamp, so 3.4 million over one month times 12, you know, that's like 40. So in reality, yeah. I mean, they've been around a year longer than... Tom and I started, I think, right, 2008? Yeah, I want to say that, say that sounds right. They shot up the $2 million and then I think they kind of just leveled off. Bandcamp, the way it is now, will not exist the way it is now, I don't think, in two years. Because they're going to have to change. Unless we start seeing the number go down. Like, that 3.4, if a year from now that thing says 2.7 or, like, 2.5... That, that, that would be bad. It probably won't be on the homepage, actually. We probably won't see that. <laughs> but um, I think they'll make a change. They could sell. You know what I mean? I think they, they could totally sell. Um, I mean, I, he did take. they did take uh, investment. Bandcamp took investment. They're not really public about that, but they took investment. I think they're going to probably take some more because um, I think they're looking for a CFO right now that has experience in raising money so i think that um so so they're gonna try and do something big i think definitely think they're gonna try and they have to change because digital music is is they're not gonna be they can't make their money from digital music in two years they can't do it it's like it's gonna be gone digital music is so done the um it's um it's completely done yeah i i 100 percent agree with you so you are often talking about the growth of final and uh, I think you're one of the people who most understands the growth and keeps plugged into it from what I see on Twitter. You were talking to me about how the growth of vinyl and what you, you know you guys, uh, you and Tom saw of it early on. Where do you see vinyl going now as far as growth? This is a long conversation, I think. And um, I think there is, I don't know the answer specifically, but here's, I don't see it slowing down. And I think there's going to be, I think if you look back like three years ago or so, people were saying, hey, check this out. Vinyl's grown a little bit. But you know what I mean? If you put it up against CDs, it's really, you know, crap. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's nice. It's like a little novelty thing. Well, it'll drop next year. But then it didn't drop that next year. You know what I mean? It went up another 50, 60%. And then it was like, oh, wow, look at this still going. But then I think last year, 
like if you look at the 2014 number or even like the first six months of 2015, it's still going up like 50 or 60%. And people are like, hmm, something is, uh, something's going on here. And I think it's like, could be like 9% of albums sold maybe or something like that or yep. 8%. It's, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It's a significant number. Let's just say album sales in general are turning to shit. Nobody's going to buy digital because everybody's streaming and CD sales are dropping. And vinyl is growing 50%. So if let's say the numbers the album sold stayed the same and it grew 50% and it was 8% this six month, first six months, let's say, it could be 12%. That's 50% growth. But we know that album sales are crashing. It could be next year we could see album, it could be like 15 to 18% of albums, let's say. So let's say 2016, that 15 to 18% of albums sold is vinyl. That's ridiculous. And it sounds it sounds crazier than it is because we know that album sales are shit because everybody's streaming, but it's still serious money. Yeah. You know I mean? It's still like a, it's still, and then, okay, let's throw another 50% number out there. 2017, I said 15 to 18%. So let's say 15%, let's say 50% is 7, 23. So go, let's go 23 to 26 with albums not dropping. But let's say albums do drop. Let's say it's, 26 to 30 now. Let's say 2017 vinyl is 26% to 30% of albums sold. That's insane. I mean, that doesn't even, I mean, I, there's nobody, I mean, I didn't predict that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I predicted, you know what I mean? That vinyl was going to take off and it was going to be cool, but I never thought that, that they were going to converge. You know what I mean? I never thought that at some point in time before, let's say 2020, we're going to see the most albums sold being vinyl. Because that's what we could see. We could see 2020. We could see only vinyl albums being sold. So, so you don't think, like, you know how there's the statistic that in 2020, let's say, uh, that we would be at 100% obesity if it keeps rising at the rate it's at. Right, right exactly. And there's yeah. just a certain point where you get to people like you or me who are just, you know, we're not going to be obese. No, no, no. We're going to realize that we're eating too much and no girls want to talk to us and yeah. we're <laughs> yes. going to stop eating. The, no, and I agree with you. But this is all like so. The obesity is what you're saying is is that well, there's a cap. You 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 look at your the, your the, the wall on your in your apartment and you said shit. This thing is covered in vinyl. I got to stop buying vinyl. Or or just that there's a certain amount of people that are just never going to be passionate enough about music that they're going to go through this inconvenience to have a superior music listening experience. Right. Well, I mean, I, look, I mean, I don't know. I, I know you have different views on this. I think that I am, but I am, I am under the assumption that 95% of the people that buy vinyl don't listen to it. Uh, I, no, I, I, we're, we're on, we're on, we're on board there. Okay. Okay. Good. Because I've been buying vinyl for 20 years. I got tons of vinyl. I don't listen to it at all. I don't even have a record player cooked up. I don't listen to vinyl. It, it sounds, it's, it's, it, vinyl sounds like crap. I mean, it, unless you've got like, you know, some ridiculous sound system and you have great quality vinyl. I mean, the, the, the music that we listen to, you know what I mean? Let's say punk, hardcore. Um, and I mean, you listen to some other stuff that I don't listen to, but as far as that genre is concerned, indie, you know what I mean? This stuff does not sound good. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not good. I mean, it sounds like freaking donkey farts. It's terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's the worst it does not sound good. The reason people buy vinyl is because it's 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 a, it's a memory. You know what I mean? It's something that they can hold and say, "Wow, this thing is cool. I love this album. I want to show people that I love it." 
So I'm going to buy this huge thing, you know what I mean, that I can put on and display. And then when some of my friends come over, I say, check this out. Look what I just picked up. You know what I mean? Look at it. It's on, uh, you know, seafoam green. You know what I mean? Like, it's, that's the way it is. You know, look, this, I mean, this is something we talked about offline, but there is like a, I believe personally that I believe that there is a, there is sort of like a new, like romanticism type era happening. Um, Back, let's say, 1800 to like 1850 or so, you know what I mean? Early 1800s, there was a revolt, basically, against the, you know, industrial revolution. And people were just wanted, they they, they were like, oh, let's, you know, we're going to enjoy the arts some more, literary, you know what I mean? Like, literature, you know, nature, all this type of stuff, you know, art, painting, you know, that, that, they, that there was a surge in that because people were just, they didn't want. They didn't want to hear railroad trains. You know what I mean? Like zipping by their small little town. You know that that's that's what it was. It was a revolt against that. And I feel like that vinyl was sort of like a revolt against the technology revolution. It's the same, basically. You know, same same thing. You just get overloaded with technology, and you go the opposite way. And I think there's so many you know examples of vinyl is one. You, I think you live in Brooklyn, right? I, I sure do, and you know, um, the you know the New York Times and Vox today both had those articles about you know the couple that uh, lives like in the Victorian era, and then there was the hobo chic article. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, <laughs> no, I, 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 Brooklyn because it's old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Brooklyn is old. I go down there. I'm like, how are people living like this? You know what I mean? I like. I feel like I am in the Warriors when I go into Brooklyn, and but people are <laughs> loving it. You know what I mean? And it's just stupid stuff, like girls liking guys with beards. You yes, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you know, guys that like you know that that chop wood. You know what I mean? Like I'm seeing this like on Instagram where like you know you know girls are liking guys that chop wood. I'm like, you know what I mean? And, but girls are also liking guys that, you know, that, that are into computers and stuff. But I think there's like a revolt there. I mean, art prices, you know what I mean? Like if you look at Sotheby auctions, if people are still paying just crazy money for art, like the best investment around is just buy art. You know what I mean? Physical books are still being sold. First pressings of physical books, I buy them. Why didn't physical books like just get destroyed like music did? Physical books are like vinyl in a way. You know what I mean? It's pretty much exactly the same. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's just old, like tiny houses. Have you have you ever heard about this sort of thing? Like, I do. I do. Right. So tiny houses. I mean, that's like essentially like Walton type stuff. People just want to live like more simply. This, these are all things that I believe are signs of like a new romanticism era. I mean, I guess it's like the live simply type like movement. I mean, playing vinyl is not simple, but they don't nobody plays vinyl. They just buy it. Then they just put it on their shelf. That's simple. And like you said, the Victorian type people that are living like in a, in a I mean, people living in vans. There is like a huge movement of now of people just getting in vans, sometimes because they took out a $100,000 freaking, you know, college loan. They can't pay for it anymore, so they're going to go live in a van. But a lot of people are doing this. They're, you know, they're traveling the country. They're looking at nature and stuff. So get, bringing it back to bands, your experience as somebody who's in touch with web stores, you and I discussed a something that is near dear to both of our hearts, which is that um, we both can't stand when bands have 10 web stores. Oh, so you do agree with me. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I, know. I, I literally wrote an essay about this. And when I was still managing Man Overboard and doing their web presence, one of the things I did in designing our merch store is that I made it so that if you went to our website, even if we were selling something on merch now, even though the majority of it was on our store, 
you could still see it there, and then you'd have to click and go there. So at least the fan could have somewhat of a unified experience. But right. these days, it's just it's really getting silly, and it's goddamn so, free for all. And it's it's so bad for consumers, uh, not even consumers, fans of a band who want to have a choice of how they want to represent their fandom to them. It just seems terrible the way that these bands are doing it. And at that, like I, you know, I went to a popular band's uh, website the other day to just see what they were doing for merch to get an idea for something, and they didn't even have the merch linked on their website. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's just bad. I mean, that's just that's just bands just not thinking that, well, like, merch doesn't doesn't make sound, so I don't care about merch. And <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what, not to call them out, but Zach is, thinks it's a good idea to have, have a million different stores. He thinks it's great. It's like, why not? Just let them put it out there. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? Oh. I'm just like, dude... There's two, there's two big reasons. First, the reason is obviously is is that you got to think of it from the fans' perspective. They don't know what the fuck's going on. You know what I mean? They go to one store and it has one different design, and you go to a different store and you have different designs, and you don't know if they're connected to the band or not. You know what I mean? You don't know if they're band approved. You want to be able to give to a band approved, you know, uh, you know, sites. That's what you want to do. The second thing is is that from a management perspective uh, and not a management like a band manager but as as like managing like finances let's say you got money coming in from all over the place how the hell are you going to freaking check on this shit these people could just be, could be completely screwing you you know most of these guys are just like one two three guy operations that that take on these type of things and they could totally they're, they're they're printing and then doing the math like in you know right after they print they're, they're, it's all the one person's doing the same thing he's emailing he's printing he's doing the math <laughs> For how much he's got to cut your check, he's writing the checks by hand. It's ridiculous. You have to manage so much uh, when you have 10 different stores. All the different designs, all the different money coming in, the checks, you've got to double check everybody's accounting. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. You know, it doesn't even make any sense. I think that if you have, I don't even care if you use one of my services, just use one service. If you want to put yourself up on a marketplace, let's say, like if you want to have stuff like in retail too, like uh, Hot Topic. I mean, they. I mean, obviously, Hot Topic is like one of the things that's really helped the music that I listen to, as far as punk and hardcore and metal and stuff like that. And they're I'm unbelievable. I can't, they they have like one of they they've been one of like the they always pay on time. You want to sell them, you know, five hundred pieces of vinyl, they pay you. That's unbelievable. Yeah, oh, nobody yeah. pays. It's unbelievable. They pay you on time. So if anybody's listening and they want to actually, you know, if Hot Topic wants to buy something from you, sell it to them because they're going to pay. you. And so I think that's cool. Retail is cool. You know what I mean? Urban Outfitters, I don't go there, but they buy a lot of stuff. So oh, yeah. we like them. The, the, so the, the, the Williamsburg one now, the record store is, I would go as far to say probably in the top 10 biggest record stores in New York City now. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. And they sell close. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, and, and a whole, isn't Whole Foods selling records now too? I, I was just out with some friends who confessed how embarrassed he was that he bought vinyl at Whole Foods. Well, you know what? It's helping the music industry, so no, I wouldn't, uh, I mean, it would be great if you bought it from the band, but you know what? It's good enough. I, I'm just glad that what you brought up, though, um, is something else I could have fought with Zach about, but I didn't have the chance to get in a fight with him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to know that there's still things like that that, that exist. If you're hearing this music, that means that it's time for an ad. 
This week's episode is brought to you by a project that's near and dear to my heart. It's my book, Get More Fans, The DIY Guide to the New Music Business, which is a 725-page guide to the ideas, tools, and techniques you need to know to get your music heard in the music business today. I spent four years researching the book, writing down everything I learned about the music business, working in nearly every aspect of the music business since I was a teenager. It's just been updated for 2015, and there's over 100 pages of new or refreshed content in this year's edition. To learn more, go to getmorefansbook.com. For recommendations this week, I just have one. It's a podcast that I regularly enjoy. It's called Creative Control from Vishkana. Um, he did a two-hour documentary on the seminal screamo, maybe if you will, indie punk band, uh, Drive Like Jehu. You might know that name because Mark Trombino, who produced all your favorite Wonder Years and Jimmy Eat World records, was in that band before he started becoming Mr. Big Time Producer. Uh, it's exactly what a cool podcast should be. It's two hour long documentary of talking about the band and it's just killer. Even if you don't know the band, well, it's just good history and good talks about music and I can't recommend it enough. Here's a recommendation from Nick Mango, a series, a fantasy series book called King Killer Chronicles. There's two books out right now. They came out. First one came out like 2007. I think the next one came out until 2011. It's uh, Name of the Wind is the first one, and A Wise Man's Fear is the second one, and the third one hopefully will come out next year. It's I read tons of fantasy books, and those two are my favorite of all time. They're unbelievable. If you like fantasy, let's say you like like the Harry Potter series. Um, this is like this is like the Harry Potter series for adults, I guess you could say. And now another Nick, which is our contributor, Nick Parsons. Hey everyone, this is Nick, and I'm very excited to share some recommendations with you guys this week. First off, I'd like to recommend two records that I've been listening to a lot lately. The first one is V by Waves, and the second one is Two by Fiddler. Both records are very high-energy, fun, fast-paced, loud records that I'm sure anybody that listens to this podcast will at least find one song that they like off of each. I'd also like to recommend the bands Radiator Hospital and White Reaper because they have all-around solid discographies, and I'm sure everyone will like them as well. I'd also like to recommend the app Symbol, which is essentially Instagram for music recommendations. So next time your friends ask you what you're listening to lately, just get them to follow you on Symbol. And yeah. Thanks for listening to Off The Record. If you enjoy the show, the best way to say thank you is to share this episode on social media, whether it's your Twitter, your Facebook, your Tumblr, your whatever, and just tell your friends. We just want the word to spread. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, it's at OffTheRecordFM. You can get show notes, explore old episodes at OffTheRecord.FM. If you think we should be talking about something, please let us know with the hashtag TellOTR on Twitter or ask us via Tumblr at OffTheRecord.FM. This episode was produced by Jesse Cannon and Ashley Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.